Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Good evening to everybody there. You're locked in to Flower Hour, episode four. Today, I'm going to be having Lavinia on from the Black Curriculum. So I'm really, really excited. It's a conversation that I think is, has, it has such a great relevance in a time like this. So I hope you most importantly that you enjoy. And um, if you have questions, make sure you send in your questions. So hopefully she'll be able to see this. I've just sent it to her. Hope you've seen it. Get ready. We're going. Perfect. Let's go. Hello, Lavinia. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I just had some food. I've been throwing um, a frisbee for the last three to four hours, so my body is is, is exhausted. Trust me, in this heat. It's so hot. But but the heat is beautiful, don't you think? I don't know. I feel like it's nice to look at and like see, but it's yeah. so and it just makes me feel like really like tight and sticky and stuff. But yeah, it's nice yeah. to have a No, but I think I, I suppose in my head the heat is a metaphor for the conversation that's hopefully about to ensue. Matting. Let's go then. <laughs> Let's go. But yeah, I wanted um, obviously for you to introduce yourself to my, uh, my audience because I've shown some of your work. So yeah, I'll let you introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are. Okay. So thanks for this platform. Um, my name is Lavinia. I'm the founder and director of The Black Curriculum. And I'm a writer. I really enjoy um, just really just reading and writing on narratives that center um, self-development, also um, understanding your history, I think it's really key that each of us in this country and just the world as well, we understand our identity um, and are able to connect with it in, um, yeah, in ways that um, allow us to really just embrace the fullness of opportunities that are out there. So, yeah, that's okay. a little And um, how did you get involved with the work you do with um, the Black Curriculum? So I'd say, like, like every kind of stage of my life there was like a point where I was moving forward to like more knowledge of this um not even like in a way where I was cognizant that I was going to learn black history but I'd say like the experiences that I went through um definitely like made my passion greater for education it made my passion greater for black history particularly so um I feel like the catalyst happened when I was in New Zealand and oh, um okay over in New Zealand I went to study um, indigenous land rights um, that was like my initial kind of like course but then it kind of developed into learning more kapahaka and also like Maori culture as well and I was just like this is mad like this is just so important because um, I don't know if you know about the history of New Zealand but similarly to like other colonized countries like they were colonized yeah. by the British and like their land was stolen and it's still kind of like it's it's still in a place where they're unable to have full um 
claim over their lands, right? So for me, it was just being in a, a new context, but still the same kind of struggles of like colonialism, erasure, um, just like, just miseducation, just more generally. And for me, that was really like, it was really powerful to see Maoris engage in their history, um, be very proud of it, but also recognize that it needs to be done from an earlier age. So I was just like, say less. Like I remember being in the lecture hall, like writing my plan, like when I come back to London, I'm gonna do this curriculum stuff and I'm gonna make sure that our histories are taught. And I, did, I was just chatting, like, I'm not gonna lie. I remember doing one presentation and um, I think one of the questions was about like, what are you gonna do when you, like, when, when you finish this class? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to the UK. And at this point I didn't have nothing, but I was just talking into existence. Like, yeah, I wanna go, ah, I'm gonna have this curriculum that's like, Black history is focused. Um, so anyway, took that back to the UK, um, made sure that I connected with like specific individuals that were very aligned with the idea already. So it didn't need to like take much explaining or proving. And um, yeah, I met Bethany and Lisa, who have been with me from the start. And we basically developed um, the syllabus that is now the basis of the Black curriculum, my baby. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's how it started. Yeah. Wow, that, 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 that's a powerful journey and what you manifested has come into real life. And obviously I want to work in the Black curriculum because it's something that um, I've been speaking about for years. Um, it's work that I didn't really promote on Instagram, but I think what's happened now with the George Floyd and with COVID, it's made having a Black-centered curriculum for a British context all the more important. And um, I wanted to ask you, so you're one of the co-founders alongside someone else, if I'm correct? I'm the founder and I had people help me to develop oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're the, you're the direct founder. Yeah. And so this I want to is... ask you, as a founder, what is your vision for the Black curriculum, especially in the current context that we're living in? Yeah. So for me, it's really important that every young person knows their history. And I'm not Black people. I think it's key an absolute, um, it's of absolute importance that black people know their history. But for me, it's really, really key that everyone knows more accurately what Britain is, right? I yeah. think there's so much, there's so much kind of like ways in which history has been mis misconstrued and taught in a way where ultimately like we're disempowering young people because we're presenting them lies about what the, the benefits, quote unquote, of the British empire were, um, you know, not really detailing the whys as, For us, it's um, that all young people are fully empowered through history. And that's the vision. It's the broader vision that, yeah, history is a tool to awaken, um, yeah, to awaken your, you know, the, the things that are in you. And I think, like, if young people are able to connect with that, see themselves as relevant in the society, they can then go forward and do much more. Um, because it's about opening that jar. And I think without, when we're closing the lid with lies, it definitely just manifests in many different ways. And we see that, we see it every day. I've seen it for myself personally. We probably have like family members or even ourselves have all experienced ways in which we've been marginalized, ways in which we have experienced um, the erasure of the, so like that follows you throughout life. So if we can basically bring people into a place where um, we're giving them the full truth, full accuracy of, British history, um, but more black, black more generally, um, I think that gives us a sense of like purpose. So yeah. And I think we would both agree that British history is over romanticized. It's devoid of truth. Um, 
and it nourishes the individuals, especially the white British population, on the idea that their national heroes were heroes, when in fact, many of them were nourished on the bedrock of um, destroying black bodies and slave trade and so on. And I wanted to ask you, as you said, that um, people are not truly empowered, they're disempowered by the curriculum. How do you think a black curriculum could empower especially the black population, but also the wider population that we are in contact with? Yeah, I think currently the current curriculum, what it does, it is under, or rather what the function of it, it's underpinned by a sense of like nationalism that is focused on a very specific kind of nationalism that is Britishness. This idea that like, you know, whiteness is superior, anything other is below that. And like, that is born out of Eurocentric ideology. So for us, it's about, you know, just providing black history as a replacement, but being able to engage in, in other narratives that aren't Eurocentric and giving black people's ideas, um, thoughts, contributions, the space to flourish. And what that does, it allows young people and also adults as well to really critically analyze the world. Um, and I think that opens up a breadth of opportunities. It allows young people and also to fully just engage with the structures that we have, dismantle them and provide more, um, yeah, provide more creative solutions to the world that we have. Because like, I think once you've, once you've understood that you've, you've been living a lie, you now take the steps to, you know, I mean, like unfold that. So I think it's really important that um, a black curriculum is, is not only just like black history as a replacement um, tool, but as a, a mechanism that like allows people to really just like indulge um, and bring up different narratives. So yeah. Let me just move because my signal is acting up a little bit. Let me just go. There is. Let me go into one of my other rooms. Okay. Um, one second. I'll come back. My signal is. Okay. All right, can you see me? I can see you, I can hear you. All right, your screen looks black. I can't see anything. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> can, but you can see me, right? I can see you. Yeah, that's weird. Well, hopefully everyone can still see you. If oh, oh okay, perfect. So, <laughs> so we understand that um, the current system that we have is very much from a Eurocentric lens and that the black British population makes up um, 3% of um, the population in England and has such a, a major impact on the everyday experience, the contributions. We've seen how the, this hostile environment with Windrush um, spoke a lot about the history that we haven't challenged, um, especially in Britain. How can the black curriculum force the British government or the people around them to challenge their own narratives when they've been told a lie for so long because people are going to be quite resistant naturally. How do you see change coming about? It's a great question. I think like when you're presented with knowledge that you're not used to, or you haven't kind of like engaged with before, there is apprehension. I think that's just a natural human reaction. Like I've never heard of this. How do I know it's true? And you have questions like um, you have questions. And I think especially with young people, what we see in delivering that content is that they are, curious and I don't feel like curiosity is negative it's, it's not a negative emotion it shows that you're actively listening and I think that's part of the process of um unlearning it's part of the process of really being open to um understanding a more accurate version of history and like with 
learning something new, I think that opens up the doors to um, being able to just self-reflect. And I think, again, like that is a critical process as part of the mission of decolonizing, if you like. Like you have to be able to understand and listen and reflect um, before you act. Um, so I think, yeah, naturally you're going to get pushback. We've got pushback, um, but we know why we're doing this. And so there's always a rationale and we can justify what we're doing um, because of the history of it, because we see the impacts of that. So I think with, yeah, with the, with the teaching, I think it's it's about um, providing care and support for those people who are not necessarily there yet and are young and need that like encouragement in their journey. But for those that are just like very reactive, and that emotion of like curiosity, not being the first stage, but rather the reaction, a negative reaction at that. I think it's just a process of allowing them to come to terms with um, themselves and like, yeah, just, being patient with the journey because everyone has a starting point and entrance point like for me I'm lucky because it started off quite early I'm not gonna lie and be like I went to Saturday school that wasn't me but I was yeah. had books my mum gave me books I went to SOAS which questionable um but still <laughs> still allows you to like learn history that you don't get your usual um it's near liberal right so it's, I'm not gonna like, separate it's still part of the same structure but I do believe that like I was vision that I had like um, lecturers who are of African descent me are history and that's not something that you get every day so yeah but like we all have our own starting point and it is it is natural to feel like you know curious a little bit like confused like, I remember feeling like I, like why don't I know this and I felt like I had to know this stuff especially when there was other white people in my class like that why don't I know my history? Do you know what I mean? And it made me feel a bit embarrassed because it's like, it's something that has been taken from me. Um, and, you know, um, I think it does bring up these emotions, but I think like identifying them and understanding how to work with them is really key because um, it's a process of learning and learning isn't just like taking it in. You're going to have to really that. So, yeah. And I think Marcus Garvey best said it. He said that a people without knowledge of their history is like a tree without roots. So, and I think... Unfortunately, with a large proportion of the black community, we are truths without roots. And that's not necessarily our fault, but now we have the weapons um, to be able to find that. And I think the black curriculum is going to be able to help that. One of my biggest issues is when I've gone to schools, and I think probably you've experienced this too, children are so happy to see a black guy teaching or a black woman teaching. You know, and I think I was reading a lot of research that um, black teachers are cultural mediators for children. So they help to bridge certain barriers. Also, it's important for young black children to see other successful black Sean, I think you're out. I can't hear you at all. Hello. Can you hear me now? Hear you now. Everything you said, I didn't hear at all. So can can you hear me now? I can. Hear, I feel like we're in lifetime. Yeah, I can hear you. All right, perfect. All right, so I'm going to start the question again. I was saying that we know that upon with research, black teachers act as cultural mediators for black children. We also know with black children, it's important of, important for them to see successful black role models 
who are also successful due to the achievements of the mind and not just the body. Because typically when we think about the black experience, it's sports, you know, it's um, music, it's all these different things that don't suggest that we're intelligent enough. And I wanted to ask you, how important would it be to have black teachers to teach a black curriculum? I think it's so powerful to have black teachers um, provide a black curriculum, particularly because you've identified um, representation is <clears throat> really important in that, like, young people can actually look at, like, you know, this is coming, number one, it's coming from a source that I can identify with and therefore um, kind of bridges the divide between uh, presentation, information and, re and reception of that content. But then also, I think, like, it just allows them to kind of visualize things better as well because of that cultural um, reference point. Um, I'm gonna say something that might sound weird, but whatever. Um, I think all skin, all skin folk are not kin folk. And I think it's really important that we don't like just assume that because someone's black, they are necessarily the best um, person to, to deliver this because they might not even themselves have come to a place of reckoning with their own histories um, and um, identity as well as a black person so I think just like being very careful about that approach is also very important I think it's great that we should um I think it's yeah really great that we should really be able to focus on having black in the workforce and it's a complete problem across from primary school to secondary school there is a lack of black leadership particularly um in like with males um but I think also just realizing that the type of black person that we have in those roles is even more absolutely crucial. absolutely and I think sometimes the call for representation comes at the expense of diversity becomes a number rather than a mentality. Yeah. And I think you've made such a good point that all skin, is it all skin folk is kin folk. Um, so I think I'll take from that point that you won't discriminate based on who wants to teach the black curriculum as long as they're good enough for the role. Yeah. Um, and, and I think with what that presents, it's a juncture like you may have like Asian people or white people that are very very like keen on this history and then they know it and they come very yeah. empowered but I think at the same time it's just there's a balance that I do believe that when black people do come to these roles of teaching they're going all out they come with their heart their soul their mind they're ready to give it's a, it's a place of um being able to pour into the lives of young people and, um we're the best people to do that in my opinion um but I think yeah it's it's, it's something to wait and it's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Some people are very good at um, presenting a way in which they are, are interested in this, but you know, everyone's always coming into this with their own um, thing. Like if, if it's a skill or if it's just, you know, be, being able to kind of just like lift the burden. Like I think everyone is always coming from a very personal place. So with the thing of, of black history, I think it's yeah, key to weigh the balances up and see what that person stands for as a person. Um, I just want to say to everyone that this is the co-founder of, of the Black Curriculum. So if you've got questions, throw them in the question box. This is a great time to ask questions. So I wanted to ask you as well, um, from you founding the Black Curriculum, just how important have you seen education? Because in my eyes, education is a great leveler. Education is supposed to be the key to freedom, just as much as um, Nelson Mandela said. But at the same time, as you said, and we have a system now where it's all about repeat and retention and redistributing that rather than using it to critically analyse the environment and the society that we live in. How will the black curriculum ensure or look to help the young students critically analyse the world in which they live in, in a wider context? Yeah, so in each of our 
classes, we make sure that like we're very honest with young people and um, that they can bring their own experiences into the classroom. Um, I think the way in which you've previously taught history is very abstract, it's very connected from the everyday, it's like history happened and we're now here today and today's a new day and there's no kind of like connection between literally like you think of like the period of enslavement that was literally not too long ago and I think what we are trying to encourage young people to do is to connect um, events of the past with, with today. And I think what that allows them to do, it allows them to see how patterns have repeated. It allows them to see how, um, you know, people around them and people within their circle have um, influenced the way that they think, right? And so what, that, uh, what the outcome of that is, is that there's specific outputs that they can identify and say, look, if I can take action over, for example, how, I don't know, my family um, talks about race at dinner time. That's something that I can, you know, I can do. Um, and I think, yeah, with, with the content that we're providing, it's not just like, here's history and bye. It's here's history, now shape it. Here's history, now you're involved in that. And I think like that's what allows people to think very critically um, because you have to feel included. You can't just be absorbing things. And Paolo Fria, I love this guy, but he speaks a lot about that depository form of knowledge. It's just like, hey, I'm the teacher, I'm going to give you this wonderful lesson. And um, yeah, here you go, suck it all in, goodbye. And like, there's no active like reckoning with the knowledge that you're getting. And I feel like you have to give, you have to give people a sense of self whenever you're teaching. You're not teaching pieces of paper, you're teaching live human beings who are acting and act, right? And um, I think it is about like recognising people's ability to create change um, in micro forms, macro forms, through, yeah, through giving them information and tangible things to do. It's all good? Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It keeps going. Sorry, it, it was my timer because I, I usually have a timer to get me off um, social media. That's why. So I've, oh. I've pressed ignore. Um, another question I wanted to ask you. So we know individuals such as Akala went to a Pan-African school. And I wrote, recently wrote an article where I wrote about, I believe that black supplementary schools are sometimes the answer and the missing link in the system where young black children are typically left behind, especially the West Indian young male. Africans do really well in the education system. And I wanted to ask you, so I, I've got a lot of questions with putting black history into a national curriculum, simply because I don't believe it's something we can always control. Are there any worries that you have with putting the, a, a black curriculum or a black history curriculum into a national curriculum? Because at the same time, you can't navigate every single execution in every single classroom. Wouldn't you feel safer if it was in a black supplementary school and then when you had everyone trained up to send it out to the national curriculum? I think if we had supplementary schools across the country, wouldn't have to be doing this unfortunately we don't live yet and like we are reckoning with many schools although 75 percent are academies like the rest of them like still follow the national curriculum so i'd rather have a curriculum that represents black histories um gives gives teachers the tools not sorry yeah gives teachers the examples um to actually teach it instead of not having anything there um, secondly, I feel like it is a, for me, more than anything, it is a policy. It's a symbolic policy move. And I think that sends the message rather than um, the monitoring of it, which is also very important and very key. So I think we can't have one without the other. It's very important that if we are going into the national 
have um, something to follow up from that. And there are um, tangible ways in which teachers can engage reflectively with the history that they're getting. Because it's not like, you know, you, you, go, you go to certain parts of the country, they never heard of black people. They never heard of, you know, um, anything else but Windrush, right? And Windrush for many people yeah. is a new thing. Um, but we've been knowing that there's been black people here in Britain. So I feel like sometimes it's very, very real when we come across um, no, teachers and, and also students, and this is no discredit to teachers, um, but what we're dealing with is a society that is ignorant because of the yes. history. So where do we start in that? Where do we, where do we approach it from? As I said earlier, it's not a case of just replacing because that replacement could just look as traumatizing um, where we, you know, put a couple figures on the, on the curriculum and, you know, there's just, there's no kind of in, engaging ways that in which they taught it. Um, so I think it's really important that um, there's something else to it. There's research. There's also um, training around that. Um, yeah. Proper pedagogy, not just like, you know, here's your certificate. This is the way to teach history and go about your business. How do you continually engage with this? And who are you also connected with? Because teachers also are, um, they're full of ideas. They're full of like ways to come up with new um, schemes of, of how to present knowledge. So I feel like if they're also engaging, we've yeah got the, um, yeah, we've, we've got half the job done. I, I think the national curriculum is important because for me it's just policy. I think policy is so key that we have that message from top down that you Absolutely. know we are free, but it's not it's not we're not stopping there and we shouldn't stop there. And that's why the black curriculum is doing more than just campaign for that. It's important, but it's not it. Um, and someone raised a really good point. They said um, anti-racism is going to have to be at the heart of the black curriculum in terms of how the teachers and um, how everybody else reproduces that knowledge. And as you said, the pedagogy of the classroom is key. We need to have active learning and learning that engages students. And when, so when I've gone to schools and I've taught with um, some of my friends, children are hungry for knowledge. I think there's this idea that children aren't hungry for knowledge. Children want to learn. It's just the, the ways of learning are not adapted to different kinds of children. And I think Einstein said it best. If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you're gonna forever think it's stupid. Right. So I wanted to ask you, will there be different types of learning and different forms of learning adapted to children who perhaps don't learn in the most conventional way? That's a good question. It makes me so happy because, like, I think about my history classes. Look, let me jump in. Yeah. In, in my history classes, I hated them. Like, I loved history, but I hated them because the way that yep. was just, like, so dull. It was so dull. And, like, I'm very, like, outgoing. Like, I'm very shy, but very, like, the way in which I communicate, like, very dynamic, and that's how I receive information. So with the Black curriculum, what we do, we teach with the arts. So the arts is like a central point of our learning in that young people are encouraged. They are encouraged to primarily interact with this knowledge uh, through, you know, just different forms, dance, songwriting, theatre, everything, right? So they're given actual, like, tools to be able to express themselves, to engage and learn. Um, I realise that not everyone is an arts person as well. And so for that reason, we have also um, created, like, a set of animations um, for, like, audio learners, people who want to, like, you know, people that, who want to watch videos as well and who pick up information that way. So I think, like, the breadth of resources, the more resources we can get, the, the better and it's not just about books like there are so many great books on black history i for example i love reading but i'm not like i'm not a reader do you know what i mean yeah. 
I mean, like, I feel like there's there's books that I will read, but there's like certain books that are so full of information, information, information that it's such a put off for many yes. young people. You know what I mean? I feel like if we're really thinking about um, decolonizing, we need to be decolonizing the ways in which the methods and the processes in which we teach. And it's not just like, yeah, as I said, not just black history, like black history, but what what else are you doing to make sure that you're being access like accessible to many young people? Because um, yeah, like one of the, the key problems, and I guess like, especially in um, university is the way in which things are marked, right? Um, I don't know if I am, uh, and many people, I'm not just saying me, but I don't know if many people like to write exams. Um, and I feel like if young people were given an opportunity to like express their knowledge in different ways, like just, I don't know, like there's just many ways you could do it. Um, it would give young people better chances of like, expressing themselves and being heard as well and feeling that that mode of expression is is being heard so like the way in which we i know this is like a jump but the way in which we view certain can you can you hear me see me yeah i can hear you okay yeah yeah Thought, sorry my thing paused um yeah the way in it's which okay. we, um yeah the way in which we view certain like genres it's not seen as like subaltern it's it's part of the everyday and i feel like that's really important that yeah. it's not like we have like hierarchies of of ways of knowing and learning because like we're different people like i hate this idea that, that everyone's the same we're not the same yes oh i i think the idea that everyone's the same is is it, it's oxy it's an oxymoron because if everyone's the same then we're then we're all different in the same breath and i think this idea I find sometimes when people say we're, we're all the same, it's a deflectionist argument to the ideas that we actually have different ways to learn. We have different ways to reproduce that knowledge and there's different ways to disseminate that knowledge. Do you, I'm, which I'm sure you understand. And that leads me on to another one of my questions. So you spoke about university level. So we know that there's a black attainment gap for several reasons. You know, there's cultural factors, there's financial factors, and perhaps there's also educational factors, the way we receive and the way we impart that knowledge that we have. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, could the back curriculum be pushed out to children, um, at, to adults at university level? Because my, I, I call it, well, it's an epiphany, but I call it a Negro epiphany because I learned so much. I learned so much. I remember we had like about a week of black sociologists when I learned. And there was something about it that sat with me. There was something where I remember I came back from class and I was so excited and I was excited to share the information, but no one wanted to have that yeah. information. And yeah, from yeah. there, I went on that journey and I've never gone back. So I wanted to ask you, if I could feel that joy and if I could feel that happiness, could we put the black curriculum at a, a level for university students? No, that's a, I feel like you're tricking me because I've been talking about decolonizing knowledge and stuff, but at the same time, I feel like the whole reason I started the Black Curriculum was because university is a place of exclusivity. It's a place yeah. where you have to jump through so many hoops, right? We know the stats on ACAS, UCAS. We know how much hoops people have to jump through even to get to university. So should we cater to universities uh as a first starting point no but do i think there's a place for this knowledge to be uh spread at universities absolutely like we need to have um 
young people who are going into the world to be reckoning with this knowledge because I've seen way too many times people just go through the, you know, from university straight in. Like, no this, no this. I love my corporate friends. Yeah, yeah. I love y'all. I love y'all. But I've seen way too many times, like, without the knowledge, people just go from one path to the... And there's no reckoning with, like, what's happening in society. And, like, uh, it just seems very... Like, everything just seems very disconnected. So I do believe that university is a very key place of, like, understanding oneself. As you said, you felt that joy. You wanted to do something. You went and actually done something with that. Yeah. That is what we want. We want people... We want to get... <laughs> it sounds bad, but we want to get them at the right place. Um, yes. And I think for some people, that's university. You know, they're coming out from, like, homes. It's freedom. And then they're grappling with information. And, like, that is, like, the next step into their life and their, their career. Um, but for other young people that could happen at school level. Um, yeah. And as you said, like children wanna learn. So if we're really thinking about the way in which the system is structured, I do feel like university is a good place to, to, to do that learning, but it should not be the starting or end point. Um, yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't a trick question, by the way, it was actually a genuine question and I think perhaps <laughs> it was a personal question because that's when I went on my journey and as I said I haven't looked back since and that's why I reached out to you to do this live and before we were speaking about working together but then obviously COVID yeah. happened yeah. Um, and we both agree that children are hungry for knowledge children want to learn <laughs> and something I also wanted to ask as well in schools, people typically forget that children spend more time in school than they do anywhere else. So, and the brain is a creature of volume and repetition. So whatever you put in the brain is whatever will continue to reproduce and to continue over and over and over and over again. How important do you think it would be to not just have history, but also different forms of subjects that include a Black-centered curriculum within it? So... That could be geography, um, science, that could be um, citizenship, you know, those other subjects as well. So key. It's so key. I like to just hitting the nails on the head because with what we're doing, it's not just about history. Yes, we're focused predominantly on the history curriculum, but ultimately black history is not just, again, a subject that is to be relegated to a time period. It's so yeah. vast, nuanced. And I think with the categorization of subjects and also like I touched on this just in my previous point with like linear career paths and trajectories it's very categorized and we live in a, in, 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 in a system of yeah like Eurocentricity which which ultimately categorizes everything <laughs> and I think it's really important that like within those categories if we're really thinking about liberation and we're thinking about um, diversifying our knowledge we need to be existing in different parts of these these categories that were presented with. So um, with with primary school and secondary school curriculums with key stage one to key stage four, um, I think it's really key that we have like representation in music, also arts, with geography, because ultimately, as you said, when people go home, these things are reinforced. And for some people like the, I don't know the stats, um, but I know it's very low, the uptake of um, history, the history as a subject as GCSE. Yeah. And like, why is that? <laughs> why it's is that? Boring. <laughs> it's yeah. The delivery ultimately, yes. Number one yeah. is very. I also think number two is the way in which um, things have just been like very much categorized, right? So like, I think if we were to see more Black histories on that, we would see more of an uptake. Um, it's yeah. I, I personally think that um, worth trialing out if anyone wants to do any research. But um, I do believe that there is 
more space um, for black issues to be embedded in different parts of the curriculum yeah. that aren't because yeah we like we live and breathe everything like right now we're having a conversation some people would argue this is like a this is a way of practicing the English language right and like if yeah. we were to think about ways in which we could bridge um like not just black issues but just black experiences as well into what we're doing it would just make sense like you'd have a reason for things and you'd want to explore it more so yeah um and I think, as you said, there's different ways of us practicing knowledge. You know, as you said, this is right here is the English, English language. Um, I want to ask you, so let's say the black curriculum gets put into the schools and let's say it's put into the national curriculum. You get what you want. What would be the five to 10 year trajectory and what would be the, the plan that you would have put in place? Because this is just the beginning. I want to see this continue. And I know there's black people, white people, Asian people that are on board with what you do. So what would be that five to 10 year plan that you have in place that we can be reassured that when you get in that national curriculum, by the grace of God, that is, that's not just going to be the end. I, we are not stopping at the national curriculum. Let me reassure everyone, like, this is not it. Like, we made a huge hullabaloo about it because it's important for purposes. And I went into that earlier. And, like, I think it really gets to the core of, like, the nation's um, relationship with Britishness. Um, however, in like five to 10 years, I definitely see this global, like this is a global movement. We are anti-capitalist, we are anti-imperial. Um, and I think it's that every young person from the continent to the Caribbean know their history. Also the US, they know their history very yeah. intimately. So this is a global, we're global. Baby. So, so you're looking to move from national to global, like how the rappers say, you know? Um, 100%. And I wanted to ask you, so we, uh, again, synon we're synonymous with the belief that history is from a Eurocentric lens. So I want to ask you, what does an Afrocentric lens look like? Because typically we speak about Afrocentricity, but how do we situate what being Afrocentric actually looks like? Could, is there... Because I don't believe it exists in binaries, but maybe for some people there who need a definition, what does Afrocentric mean to you and perhaps the Black curriculum? I think, agree with you that there are so many definitions out there and it's very, it's a very, <laughs> I guess, European thing to kind of like follow a definition to be able to understand and believe in it. Um, I believe in like whatever resonates with you, resonates with you best. And for us, like, um, for I'm speaking on behalf of the Black curriculum, Afrocentricity is primarily identifying and acknowledging legitimate sources of knowledge, African perspectives and histories without kind of coming through a colonial or European perspective. So, for example, if we're coming from the understanding that, like, you know, Africa, as Joseph Conrad said, was a place of darkness. Yeah. We know that's not true. Um, why? Because an Afrocentric lens really prioritizes um, the experiences of Africans before colonialism, yeah. prior colonialism, and within colonialism, because I think it's also key that we don't just have this romantic, romanticized version of history where it's just like, you know, we had empires and whatever. Great, yes, we did, but what, what did we do? And I think yeah. this is where the narratives of the Caribbean really shine through. Haiti, Jamaica, what, yeah. what, no, what happened? We really know what happened with enslaved peoples there. Um, yeah. For maroons but also just um like just icons sam sharp 
Marcus Garvey, all of Nanny. Nothing. There no are one so better many, than Garvey. Like, <laughs> there are so many. The guy um, I look up to. Garvey's your guy. Garvey's Love my it. man. I, well, he started all the movements in America. I think Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, Edward, um, all these people, Huey Newton, they, it came from Garveyanism, right? And he doesn't get the applause that he deserves. 100%. Yeah, he is the father of Pan-Africanism. So Absolutely. it's really important that we acknowledge him as that 100% and like give, you know, give our forefathers the, the recognition that they deserve because they put in work. <laughs> work, and real work. You the time where they had no technology and stuff but he was making yeah. moves well it's crazy and I, I wanted to ask you as well typically when we think about black revolutionary leaders we only think about men and perhaps that's the sexism that's rife in black in the black revolutionary community or perhaps it's that's just the popularity but we also think about the women who are strong in the Garvey movement we think about the women with Malcolm X who were really strong in the nation of Islam how important is it to also have those female role models spoken about in the black curriculum to also remind black women just how powerful they are and to remind black men of the strength that black women have had and the, black, the strength that they continue to emit? I think if we're talking about colonialism and being anti-colonial and decolonizing, we need to, we need to recognize and prioritize the fact that there is a patriarchy um, and, um, yeah, anti, just anti... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's just a patriarchy that basically categorizes uh, the importance of lives and experiences. And I feel like with with the work of the black curriculum, it's not just about replicating black histories because as you know, like men have taken center in those histories themselves from Malcolm X to uh, Martin Luther King to even here in the UK. When we talk about the Bristol bus boycotts, we always think of like Roy Hackett and um, Paul Stevenson, but we have like Carmen Beckford who were instrumental, you know, yeah. in this, in movements i feel like we need to really prioritize the women um because they are the carriers of culture they have been <laughs> forefront of these movements they have been literally sacrificing their lives and their dignities to carry black people forward so i think it's really important that we understand the hierarchies and um we work actively against that to you know not replicate the structures of oppression so like 100 percent um olive morris for me is my icon she represented like feminist empowerment, um, specifically as a South Londoner. Um, and she- Pull up, pull up. To pull up. She literally done this at a young age. So I'm just like, we have to be able to recognize who these people are, give them their dues and not let their names be whacked away. So very key. And I also said in a previous live, um, the one author that revolutionized my way of thinking was Bell Hooks. She's to today my favorite author, though, just the way she looks at the world the way she um, explains feminism, even if people don't agree with her, I think she's easily my favorite author. And I wanted to ask, so when you think about Carnival, for example, people forget that Carnival was created by Claudia Jones and I'm from Trinidad and um, Claudia Jones was Trinidadian. She um, created Carnival, but whenever we think of Carnival, we only think of Jamaican started it, but it was started by a Trinidadian. And um, Claudia Jones was um, called the left wing or the left hand of Karl Marx. And I wanted to ask you, how important has the black female contribution been to the black British experience? Because as you said, they're the carriers of culture. But I think, do we really underestimate how powerful black women have played a role in the black British narrative? I think we don't underestimate. I think we know. I think we know. But the ways in which we engage with knowledge and knowledge production 
centers black men specifically um and also white men like um i'm sure like in history like okay so <laughs> i remember reading in my dissertation that there were uh when i was doing research for my dissertation yeah. the narrative the maroons the only reason that she was centered was because of her sexuality right and that came from a lens of like white men uh narrating history and i think like the thing is that we know that they are carrying culture but it only makes sense to write about them if they fit within the specific blocks yes you know, created so um yeah like to answer your question uh women have like yeah as we know women have taken center stage in this and i think it's really important that specifically in Britain, um, that we narrate these figures, um, archaeological evidence from Roman times, but also today, um, World War One, Mary Seacole, um, we have plenty examples, and the Young Historians Project are doing some great work on um, women in the NHS, black women in the NHS from 1948. Um, so I think it's just really important that we understand the, um, yeah, like, the women who have done so many things for us um, today, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that you said um, Mary Seacole because she, I believe she was the first black woman to have a statue in the UK, if I'm correct, right? Um, and when we think of Florence Nightingale, we think of her as the, the mother of all, you know, nursing in the UK, but she actually refused to um, treat black kids, if I'm correct, at one point when she was in Jamaica. Hmm. If I'm correct, if I, if I read history correctly, she actually refused. So that's a, a lot of unpacking. And I wanted yeah. to ask you, so with the Black curriculum, you're doing so much work by yourself and you have so much power. I want to ask you, are you going to be collaborating with other organisations who also have the Black community's best interests at heart? And if so, when can we see those collaborations come to light? It's a great question. So I feel like collaboration is at the heart of what we do um even within our own capacity we make sure that we are bringing in black women we are bringing in black men to do this work for us um i think within um within britain it's really important that we are able to uh share the experiences that we've all had in campaigning for this because whilst we've been able to gain a lot of like uh, recent notoriety for the work we do it's important that we acknowledge that this is not just us like this is decades of work and people have literally been doing this for for years so um last year we did put out some research we made sure that like each of the people who um we refined down were doing work in research we're doing work in like um his like history um and we kind of got like jason dr jason are to do our uh, report oh, for us he went to um, university did he? Yeah, he man, I text Jason all the time. I'm trying to get him on a live as well to have a conversation because he wrote an amazing book that I'll definitely recommend as well. Yeah, yeah, but isn't it um, Black Men in Britannia or something? Um, I think he wrote one as well, Resisting Higher ed Education, I think, as well. If I'm okay. Correct. Jason's incredible. Like, yeah. I think it's really important that from like sectorally we connect with Black people. Yeah. Um, in grassroots work, we have um, previously reached out to. Um, a number of organizations um, in this space who are doing similar work to us. Um, we have partnered with um, Every Voice, who are based in Islington, who do a lot of anti-racist work as well. Um, and yeah, most recently, uh, which I'm really excited about, is the Essential Curriculum, which is um, run by a black woman, and it's just reviewing books on black history. So yeah, like we are doing this work and we are open to collaborating with like black organizations in the space as well. And for people that um, 
are going to watch this live now and going to watch the live later on or at a later date, how can they come and volunteer with the Black Curriculum? Because um, I'm sure you're going to need a lot of volunteers at the rate, the amount of trajectory you guys have picked up now. Yeah, so if people want to get involved, they just go to www.theblackcurriculum.com forward slash get hyphen involved. And yeah, we'll go from there. So I've got hay fever. It's okay. Hay fever touched me earlier too. Mate, it's a madness. I feel like it happens at night worse. But um, yeah, if people want to get involved, um, there's a direct link to that. And that involves work opportunities in teaching, but also researching and also content creating because it's important that we are continually um, providing new narratives as well, not just like a narrative um, that, yeah, that has been told many times. So like we're continually reproducing knowledge. I'm really looking forward to the work that um, you're going to do. And I think these kind of conversations give me an intellectual orgasm in the sense of, I think there's so much that can be done and evidently will be done. And I wanted to ask you, in the unfortunate death of George Floyd and racism being such a pernicious social disease, I wanted to ask you a question. Can we ever truly be rid of racism? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think that's a radical fantasy? Do you mean in our lifetime? <laughs> what timeline are we talking? <laughs> All right, let's say, I want you to answer the question however you interpret it. I think racism is something that we're always going to deal with, if I'm quite honest, because like we can never, um, we can never um, be able to, how can I say this? With, yeah, with what we have at the moment, I do believe that we will never be able to kind of get to the heart of the political establishment as we have it without um, hard work, unity and um, resources, which is something that is happening, but needs to happen at a much faster rate to be able to get there. So I do believe that like it is possible. Um, I'm not like a pessimist at all. I believe change is happening, but um, it's going to take a lot more kind of like infrastructure and coordination. And um, as we have it, we are so invested into the system of like colonial capitalist, like Eurocentricity, it's crazy. And like in everything we do, we are so embedded within it. So, and, and that reproduces racism. So I don't feel like it will be eradicated. I do believe that we can like work towards it. And um, that journey will be filled with loads of hope, but I feel like it's gonna be a very long time until it goes. That's just my two cents. And I wanted to ask, so perhaps racism in our lifetime may never go but the future generations perhaps may be rid of it how do you see the future for the black community um you said you're hopeful but if there was a dream that you had for the black community what would that dream be i think that one day the diaspora are able to unite again um and be able to live truthfully outside of the structures that we've created, um, or sorry, we've uphold, upheld, um, and that were created hundreds of years ago. So I do believe that like, yeah, one day, and I do see this, that, you know, we will come together again and be united and like fully embrace the differences between each other. Like it's been 500 years plus coming. Um, and it's time that we all stood together and like really just embraced, yeah, like, I know it sounds really airy-fairy and stuff, but I do believe that, like, we belong together. Literally, Mariah Carey said it first. We belong together. Yeah. I can't sing, though. I can't sing. I, I'm looking to drop a little R&B Soon come, soon come. But no, um, no, are there any books you would recommend for people to read? 
um, after listening to this live, are there any of your favorite authors you would recommend? So you said Oliver Morris. Um, but yeah, are there any books? Are there any um, YouTube videos you would recommend? What would you recommend for people? I'd say like, uh, first of all, if you want to understand black British history, I start um, by reading David Olusoga's obviously Black and British, which is a great starting point. Um, dense second, read. I say that it gets dense. Yeah, it's, it's a dense. But it was great though. Like I really learned so much from it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think he's a great historian. Um, also, I'd recommend like, uh, if you want something a little bit more different and like you can actually visually track things, go on Tony Walker. Tony Walker, I believe his name is Walks Black History Walks, because um, yes. you can actually see things and like engage and like it just becomes very real to you. We've done a lot of those tours whilst we were at uni um, during yeah uh, last year and the year before. Um, also, I would say uh, for understanding colonialism and the, the European centre of of how it's upheld. Aim, Aim, Amy Cesare's book, um, Discourse on Colonialism. I feel like oh, I'm yeah, just reading no. my reading list from last year. I read it um, my masters. It was so good. Literally, like yeah. every time I thought I angered the system, I'm what like, about... yeah, it's a gangrene. Yes, it's a gangrene. <laughs> what about um, France Fanon? Black Skins, White Mask. Black Skin, White Mask. That was definitely awakening for me in my first year. And I felt that like every person, every black person has to read this to understand the psychological impacts of racism, of yeah. race rather. Um, so... I think that's a key read. Um, and also, um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed from an educational point of view. And also oh. Pedagogy of Hope and the Heart. There's like other kind of like books in that. Um, yeah, in, in, in that. I think it's really key to kind of just engage with um, so that we understand like what true liberation in education looks like. Because education is so important. It's for everyone and the world will be dead without educating. So I Absolutely. think it's really important that yeah, we Education's go forward. Education advanced civilizations exactly like we cannot have education we can't have a society that is able to do great things without being educated it's impossible so yeah everyone has to have that that opportunity to engage um and Dude. engage really um i can't believe the time has gone on so quickly i think um i want to ask you hopefully we're gonna have a part two at some point that'd I be think, lovely i think it's the conversation people are dying to hear and especially putting my platform and your platform together to center the amazing work that the black curriculum is doing is continuing to do and will do so i have to say a massive thank you on my behalf for having the conversation with me making yourself some making yourself accessible to even have that conversation because i find when people pick up certain traction it's really hard to get them so i, I gotta say a big thank you for the knowledge that you've imparted right now and that's probably on behalf of a lot of the viewers i think they're going to take away a lot and to support the work the black curriculum's doing and i think we have like two more minutes left but if there's anything final that you have to say i want i, I want uh, that you can speak for as long as you want I, i'm i'm here listening thank you no, thank you for bringing me on this platform i want to know from you um like what you know what brought you to want to like engage more like intentionally with education um, as well, because I know that you've done a TED talk, which is amazing, by the way. So yeah, like what what brought you to this place as well? Like, what was your experience? So I think after my my Negro epiphany, I'm, I'm going to trademark that word. But um, <laughs> after I had that in my second year of university, it made me think about the way I was raised. And my mum is um, my mum didn't really teach me much, but it's not really her fault necessarily. 
when you think of Black History Month, you think of chains and whips and Martin Luther King, um, his whitewashed speech. Not many people understand that the man wasn't always nonviolent, but Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, that's all I remembered. So I was hungry. I was ravenous for knowledge. And I went on such a search. I met certain people. I applied for certain things. I just kept reading. I would get books. I would buy and I'd just read and I'd read. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of William Cross's theory. He believes that Negroes or black people go through certain phases where at the beginning you, you learn about your history. You're really angry at all white people. The second phase is you start to really come to terms with it. Then the third phase is you come to terms with the world and you understand that racism will always be there, but you can only really learn to empower your people. So from getting that psychological viewpoint, it helped me to understand I knew what education didn't do for me. So I wanted to be able to give to children what I believe education could have done for me and what, and this, and what I've seen it being able to do. From seeing children going out there and being like, sir, thank you for coming. Sir, thank you for this. Sir, thank you. And I'm like, I'm just as young as you. You know what I mean? Um, so that's how my journey of education started. And that's why I reached out to you. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the work I'm going to hopefully be doing with you guys. So I've got a lot of ideas. Um, I've got a lot of boys and girls that I would love to bring on on board as well, um, especially because I believe we share the same vision. So, yeah, I think that's how my journey of education started. And then seeing people like yourself doing what you're doing, it just reminds me that there's people that want the best for the black community and not all hope is lost. We have to be optimistic. Definitely, definitely. That's such a beautiful journey. And I think like that point of reckoning with uh, the reality, but also what your passion is, is liberation. Absolutely. And like, it's, it's, yeah, I think from here on, it's just about maintaining those connections and like, yeah, just broadening it out, broadening it out. And uh, yeah, like, you're welcome to get involved with the Black Curriculum, of course, like, we'd love to have you on board. So take that as an invitation. Obviously, well, obviously, I'm waiting back for the emails. I've been waiting for a while, you know. <laughs> And listen, I've been I'll chasing you know, I'm, still, but okay. listen, I'm, I'm checking the watch, but yeah, any way that I can help, just let me know because um, I'm hopefully, well, I'm, I, I've kept this a secret, but hopefully I'm going to be doing a second TEDx talk. So hopefully that's going to come through. Ooh, hopefully, exciting. hopefully. Because my first hopefully. one, I wasn't, I wasn't too happy with. I think there was a lot of work that I needed to do, but again, that's growth, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. but definitely. It's been... improve, get better. So keep us posted. Like, Absolutely. yeah, that's it's been an enlightening and an empowering and a conversation that's only going to escalate the best of the black community. So I just have to say thank you again. And people, I can see from the comments, are really thankful. But we're going to have a part two at some point. Lavinia and I are going to discuss that because I know you're really busy with the work that you're, going, that you're doing at the moment. So listen, it's, um, it's only up from here. And that's a song by Chris Brown and Justin Bieber, actually. So, yeah. Up, up, up. Love it. Thank you no, so much. That most definitely. So yeah, no, anytime you need me, I'm here. And everyone, go and check out Lavinia's work with the Black Curriculum. Doing amazing things. This is a young, powerful sister. And these are the kind of people that we need in our community to want the best for us. So thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome. Anytime. Anytime. Blessings. Take Always. I'll speak to you soon. All right, Deshaun. All thank right. you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing 
that is conversations and remember flower hour is the podcast where conversations blossom